Friends of God, let me open with a prayer. Father God, let what comes next as we worship, the words that are spoken, the words that we hear, let them be from you, let them be of you. Let our hearts and our minds and our ears be fertile ground this morning for what you have prepared for us. Amen. Please do take a seat. Wow. Good morning, my name is Deji. For those of you who don't know me, I'm from the congregation here at St. John's South End. Today's talk is titled Prayer for Power. And it's the third in a series of eight on the topic of prayer. We're journeying through this together as a church. Today is prayer for power, talk three of eight. But before I, I get into, into today's message, a little reminder about why we are doing this. Why the choice of prayer as the engine to drive us through 2023. We believe that in the kingdom of heaven, in the life of God's kingdom, the things that really matter cannot, I repeat, cannot happen without God. It's not enough to keep a lovely building, to have excellent church programs, good coffee, lively music, without being inspired by God or part of his will, these activities just fizzle out into nothingness. It's when we ask our Father, and he gifts us these things and more, that's when we start to glimpse his kingdom. So what might that look like? Um, this isn't an exhaustive list, by the way. It's when we see people coming to Christ. It's having spirit-filled worship together, reaching people in our community. It's seeing the fruits of repentance and transformation in our Christian life. It's becoming a genuine Christian community, always filled with love for one another. Get this, it's the outbreaking of the Holy Spirit, giving each and every one of us a desire to affect God's world. Every one of us longing to serve in ministries of mercy and justice, whether here, whether close by, or far off, sometimes in the dangerous places of this world. These things bear the hallmark of kingdom work. We're in God territory here. So we absolutely must pray. I can recommend to you Saturday, the prayer workshop. If you're not signed up yet, consider it. You don't have to be a prayer warrior. That's not one of my favorite terms. Just come to God and pray. You'll be in good hands, I can promise you that. So the prayer workshop on Saturday. 
We're being inspired by eight, eight examples of praying people and their prayers from the Bible. So that's what we're going through as a church. Mike has already started us off really well with Jesus, who else? Looking at the Lord's Prayer. We then followed with Abraham's example of intercessory prayer. In future weeks, we can look forward to, and I have to read these, the Syrophoenician woman, Jacob, Nehemiah, Hannah, and Jehoshaphat. Don't ask. You will find out. <laughs> but for today, our example of prayer is from a passage in Ephesians which is a letter from the New Testament. It's traditionally attributed to the Apostle Paul. If I could ask at this point that we get our Bibles open and then we can get cracking with this. If you prefer to use an app on your phone, that's fine. If you're old school like me, you've actually brought your own physical hard copy, that's great too. If you haven't got one, the Bibles are coming around. Do please grab one. We are looking at Ephesians Chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. It's on page 1174 in the Church Bibles. So it's page 1174. We will be chewing on this passage today and digesting other parts of Scripture as we travel together. I think it's good for us to keep track of all our stops. And that way, we can be assured of how we got to our final destination. So do please try and follow. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. One moment. Okay. I will read for us. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is a work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How do we get into this one? Allow me to set this up with a little thought experiment. So on a scale of zero to five, zero meaning you completely disagree, 
and five meaning like a footballer, you're 110% on board. Um, I'm going to read out a statement and I want you to go with the number that comes to you. Yeah? Don't overthink it. Just pick a number depending on how much you agree. Here we go. Christians should shun power and instead aspire to being humble, meek, and mild. I say it again. Christians should shun power and, and aspire instead to being humble and meek and mild. Have you got your number? Okay, don't, don't panic. I should have said this beforehand. I'm not going to make anyone share their answer. <laughs> that would be unfair, I think. Because even though the sentiment behind that statement can be traced back to scripture, I fully expect that we're going to be all over the spectrum on this one. Get a few ones, a few fives, a few threes, if you like me, you like to sit on the fence. Power is not, as I found out, a comfortable subject for Christians. Despite most of us feeling that the church should be at the front, that we should be the champion for racial justice. We had that last week. Justice for women, poverty justice, sexuality justice, mental well-being justice. Despite knowing that the church should be right at the heart of championing all these things, we still get very nervous about having or wielding power. So I couldn't be more grateful for today's topic, today's passage. Because I believe that if, if we have ears to listen, we can come to an altogether different and godly understanding of power. And more importantly, we can start to pray that we will wield power when we have it the way God does. Above all else, if you forget anything else I say today, the message is that power is not a dirty word for followers of Christ. Instead, praying for power should be instinctive for every believer. It should be part of our DNA. So there'll be three main sections as we look into this, uh, and I'll try and alert you as we go through. Firstly, let's consider the opening verses of today's passage. What can we learn from the text? From verse 14, we hear the Apostle Paul saying this, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your deepest inner being. So Paul is explicitly praying for us to receive power. That, that much is clear, right? The key, the all important thing that we must not miss is to whom Paul is looking as the source of this power. Power that I generate, power that we generate, is inevitably tainted. Paul, however, is looking elsewhere. 
the father from whom every social group derives its name. Name here is a, an expression of authority, empowerment. It's like when we say, stop in the name of the law, that kind of thing. There is a link between authority, power, and strength. And these are woven together in life, just like it's woven together in our passage we have today. I could say, for example, that I have authority to call on the power in my muscles, such as they are, which in turn gives me strength to, I don't know, pick up my daughter and give her a hug. Straight off, Paul wants us to see that every community, whether believing or otherwise, gets its authority from God. Not from the law of the land or from some sociology, but from the sovereign king of all that is. Now, I don't normally pray for power when I'm picking up my little girl. Um, the older one, maybe I would. But, but actually, I reckon I might if somehow I ended up on one of these strongman competitions. I don't know if you've come across these. Um, they've got these guys doing some really outlandish things. It just goes to show what we are capable of. I remember this one competitor, all strapped up to a truck, and he's going to pull it from a standing still. So there he is, he's straining, he's straining his muscles, and he's trying to pull this truck. Whether he pulled it or not is not what I remember. What I remember is his wife standing about two, three feet in front of him, yelling, um, encouragement, I presume. But here's the thing. When he's got nothing left, no matter how much authority he wants to command on his muscles, nothing's going to happen. And his wife, well, she has no authority here. She can't help. Paul wants us to know who has authority here. Paul wants us to know that God does have authority here. Through his spirit, we can receive power beyond our own resources, even to our spent, wasted muscles. Think of the story of Samson. At the very end, he's blinded. He's weak, he's shackled. His hair, which he presumes is the source of his power, has been cut off. Samson had nothing left. So what does he do? This is in Judges, chapter 16, verse 28. He prays. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And the Lord answered his prayer. If you know the story, you'll know it's a gruesome ending. But we see power coming to he who believed. I'm going to spend a fair chunk of my time here just to really try and drive this home and to help us shake off any lingering doubts we might have about the rightness of power in the life of the believer. Yeah, That was the Old Testament. Let's look at another New Testament example. Let's come to the Gospels. 
This one is a, a non-verbal example, or should I say a less verbal example. The one about the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. Her prayer takes the form of an action. She grabs for the hem of Jesus' garment. It's in the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'll read from Mark. It's Mark chapter 5. This is verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? I love that bit. Power had gone out from Jesus. Sisters, brothers, she did not know what would happen, but she believed. Here's another believer receiving power straight from the Lord. And Jesus doesn't turn around and get cross or angry. He actually uses the most tender of terms when he addresses her. He calls her daughter. Paul, just like this woman, just like Samson, has zero reservations about praying for power. Do we see that? He expects the church to be always praying for power from God. Let's go back to our passage in Ephesians. Verse 17 onwards, Paul says this, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people. And later when he says, according to his power that is at work within us, me, you, and you, and you. Praying for God's power should be a given. And it's entirely compatible with being a Christian. From what we've read, I think it goes the other way. I think that power should be evident in our lives. But wait a minute, and now this is the second section. Doesn't power corrupt? And doesn't absolute power corrupt? Absolutely. I think we need to think about our misunderstandings of power and how we misuse power. The examples we looked at in the Bible all have one thing in common. They were looking to God. Paul also is directing our gaze upwards, isn't he? It's when we look only within, it's when we look only within ourselves that we come unstuck. With so much wrong in the world, if we're looking just to ourselves, we can often be left feeling incapable of seeing how we can make a difference. Sometimes we just plain given up. Let's be honest about it. Sometimes we're too afraid to even try. 
we end up operating on the basis of our own individual powerlessness and only think in terms of our own lack. And what happens? What happens then sometimes is we then dream of getting our own way. Everyone else is doing fine. We then dream of the day when power will be wielded for our benefit. Isn't this the bedrock of our political system? Isn't this how we're pitted against one another? My group versus yours. And then when we gain the upper hand, what do we do? We, we hold on to that power, don't we? We hoard it for ourselves. I thought, um, I thought it was instructive and interesting to note the general shock at the recent news of two world leaders, female world leaders, might I ask, who voluntarily stepped down from their positions of power. In Jacinda Ardern, as Prime Minister of New Zealand, and Nicola Sturgeon, First Minister of Scotland. I think it was a surprise because we've become so accustomed to the opposite. Perhaps it's a reminder that even in politics, power is a privilege that is granted and granted for a purpose. It is, I have to insist, it is possible to wield power not for oneself, but for a higher purpose. For the Christian, the power isn't ours. The power is God's. And God's power is so gloriously abundant, it's never running out. There is no need to ever hoard it. So, what higher purpose does Paul have in mind when he is praying that we receive God's power? I'll go back to verse 17. He says this, it's so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and that we be rooted and established in love so that we can grasp how wide, how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ. I, I will say that bit again because it's one of my um, giddy verses. It makes me go giddy. How wide and how long and how deep and how high is the love of Christ. That's what this power is for? We're meant to know this love in a way that surpasses even knowledge. To be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I don't even know what that means, but I want some. In this prayer, Paul is pointing us to the love of Jesus Christ. There is simply no higher purpose, no greater power, than that which is dearest to God. The Father's love for the Son and the Son's love for us. Love, yes, it is the greatest commandment. Love is also the greatest thing that remains throughout eternity. We know this from 1 Corinthians 13. It's always re rehearsed and recited at weddings. Love. Do we dare ask 
for this kind of power. This is way beyond the physical. This is beyond the political. This is beyond the economical power. Think back to Genesis, to the creation of the world. That's how God wields power. That's what God's power does. Welcoming back our young ones. Bless them. But it's not just creation that God uses his power for. This is the same power, and Paul insists on this in chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 19. This is the same power that raises Jesus. This is the same power that raised Jesus back from the dead. This is the power we're to pray for. This power conquers death. It brings about new creation. If we do ask for it, yes, we will work wonders. But let me say this. First and foremost, this power is for the work of Christ. This is the third and final section. And I want us to be thinking about Lent as we're talking about talking in this section. Pray about what this means to you, how you might approach length. We should look to Jesus then. This power is for his work. Not only does, does Jesus have all authority in heaven and on earth, he is the only one, the only human being that we could possibly trust with it. But how does this help us with all the injustice in the world and all the plain wrongness that we find in the world? I can only be blunt. Friends, however much we might care, no one among us cares more than Jesus. No one cares more about correcting oppression and injustice than our Lord Jesus Christ. We've already, we've already seen one example, the lady who was bleeding. But the Gospels are filled with so, so many examples of Christ's compassion, leading up to his sacrifice for us on the cross. In our own strength, we'd be like amateurs compared to him, wouldn't we? It is through Jesus that God is pleased to reconcile all things back to himself. I believe, and I hope you do too, that we can trust that we already have the favor of God. That the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are already on board with working things out for our good that God is poised to bring to earth the kingdom of heaven. There is a prophecy from Isaiah that is sometimes referred to as Jesus' manifesto. don't know if you've heard that. This is because in Luke's gospel, in chapter 4, 
we hear Jesus declaring these words at the very beginning of his ministry. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and then to cap it all off, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is his stated mission. He really doesn't want heaven without us. We sang that earlier. This is the kind of kingdom that Christ is ushering in. One where power is wielded for the vulnerable and the brokenhearted. How can we say that we belong to his kingdom if we don't challenge unjust social structures and policies, if we have no empathy for the pain and suffering of the other, if we ourselves refuse to be courageous instruments of Jesus' work in the world, surely we must step up, yeah? Not because we have all the answers or we've got all the resources lined up on our fingertips, but because we are compelled by the power of his spirit. So at this point, I remind you, don't worry. Whatever number you picked earlier when we were having that mind experiment, don't worry about that. The number. Latch on to this. Christ will return someday. The good news his work has already begun and continues. He has blazed a trail for us to follow. His kingdom has come near, and we need fear nothing as long as his power is working within us and through us. Paul ends this lovely prayer. He ends it like this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Before I conclude with a prayer for us, let me invite the band back up because we will have um, shortly an opportunity to respond in song and praise. Please know that it's perfectly fine if you need to remain seated as you ponder some of what you've heard. Let the Lord speak to you this morning. Take this time to do just that. We all process things differently. I'm available afterwards as well, if you wish to discuss anything for any reason, you're more than welcome. Let me pray for us. Loving Father, I thank you and praise you, O oh God, for meeting with each of us exactly where we're at. What a joy it is to be rooted in the love of Christ and for that love to form the stable foundation from which we, 
as his disciples journey into growth. May his love be at the heart of all our prayers. Help us to grow in the love of God and the love of neighbor. Fill us, Lord, with the Spirit's power, power that brings about a new creation within us. Undo all those things that aren't part of your kingdom. Rid us of them, Lord. Come with your power, we pray. Help us to be part of your kingdom and part of making this world new. Teach us to pray for the power to bring the light of your kingdom to the places where it's most needed, to the dark and difficult places. We ask in the power of the spirit that Jesus promised. We ask confident of his authority. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.